You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show where we try to help you as a business leader or owner uh, do a little more, find uh, ways that you can solve some problems and maybe do more to influence your team and, and get a little bit higher performance out of it. My guest today is uh, Dr. David Pierce. He is a dentist by trade, but he has made a, a bit of a life change conversion. I'll let him explain more of that and uh, kind of guide uh, that shaping of our discussion. But David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate that invitation. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that journey that uh, you've been on. To uh, you, you had a successful dentistry practice, and then you started thinking of some other things. Uh, tell us more of that story. How, how has that journey unfolded? Yeah, sure. Happy to uh, try to keep it succinct. Uh, you know, so general dentist. I've always been a lifelong learner. Uh, I, I figured out that I actually enjoy. The process of learning, not just the content, but the actual process of it. So applying that to dentistry, uh, lots of opportunities in dentistry, many, many more now than perhaps when I started my career three and a half plus decades ago, uh, to advance yourself in skill set. And so I initially felt like the key to success in dentistry is master your clinical abilities. And once you do that, You'll, the rest of it will take care of itself. That was an erroneous uh, calculated move, but nonetheless, it, it's one of the pieces of the puzzle is clinical. It made sense. logical sense at the time, right? It made a lot of logical sense, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's hard to really judge you know, what, you know, what is success. Uh, it's many, many levels, but if you judge financial lifestyle, if you look at financial lifestyle success, unless you know somebody really well and, and they're willing to be trusted to be transparent, it's hard to, to know even the people you see fairly regularly. So like, are they really secure in their financial and, and what does their lifestyle truly look like? You know? Um, so, the, but the people I saw looked like, yeah, that's all I need to do. You're going to be good driving big cars, all kinds of stuff, you know, later found out like, no, not, not so successful <laughs> that way, but you know, so, uh, yeah, so I learned the skill set, and then, uh, but I, I probably most intriguing to me on the way was, I mean, my, my gift, if I have a gift is I just don't quit. Like I just keep going, just persevere, not the, not the sharpest tool in the shed, not the most, you know, talented person, not creative as far as coming with ideas. I'm just a good student and I don't quit. And so in that journey, I got my skills that got very, very good. Uh, but more importantly is I was learning with dentists that were very, very good. And they were ahead of me on their journey. And what I found as we talked is my, the acceptance of, I'll say patients saying yes. So, you know, in the business word, we call that sales. Uh, dentistry kind of avoids that word and calls it other things, but it's sales. So in the, in the process of getting patients to say yes, to relatively very large, you know, investments in themselves, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, like buying a really, really nice luxury car, but putting it in their mouth, that my success seemed to be much more so than people that I would say had been doing a lot longer and were way more capable clinically than I was. And so that's the non-clinical business side of it. And it just is what it is that, so I looked at that, you know, and said, that's intriguing. I'm glad that uh, that I've become a student of that as well. And there's so many places you can learn, so many great books 
You don't have to think it up, just, you know, read it, go to the, get around those people, absorb it, put it into place, make it your own. Um, so as I did that dentistry, I got to a point where uh, clinically, the beauty of dentistry is we are, our mantra was changing people's lives one smile at a time. And so it truly was life-changing dentistry. People, you know, come in, they're covering their mouth with their hands. They can't go out to eat. There are all kinds of disabilities around their lifestyle totally because of their mouth. Not to mention the fear and embarrassment and that kind of stuff and judgment that they're feeling about that. So to be able to change that for somebody was just so fun. I mean, it's just like they were just lots of tears and hugs and thank you and all. You know, and you just saw it just change people's lives. And I knew that once I stopped doing dentistry, that would end because that's it. Uh, and that and the good part about what I was doing was that was great. And the bad part of what, about what I was doing was I had I had to be there, you know, at the brick and mortar to make it happen. And when I wasn't there, uh, I wasn't helping people per se, and the brick and mortar kept saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, which we call overhead. And so, you know, I said, well, you know, I like doing this part. I don't want to do clinical dentistry. I'd like to, be able to have more freedom in my life with my wife to, you know, do other things, not have to be tied to the brick and mortar. And about 10 years ago, I got involved with a mastermind group of dentists, very, very accomplished and wanting to become more accomplished, uh, similar to myself that way. Uh, although not many were way ahead of the curve from, than I was. Um, but and our conversations were always around the business side by structure. Uh, we could talk about anything, but it was always the business part that people were like, that's the struggle. That's the hard part. How do I do that? And typically those seem to be around, how do I get my team engaged? What does a leadership team look like compared to a bunch of employees running around or staff, whatever you want to call them? And then how do I get more sales? Like how do I get patients to say yes, which all that boils down to more revenue. But the thing wasn't so much the revenue as much as it was those two frustrations. And they're pretty big frustrations. How do I get that better? And I found that, that I felt like I had answers to that. I wasn't the answer man, but I had good answers. And the group was always very um, supportive of like, David, you're just good at this. Like you're good at taking difficult, we see as difficult situations, asking the right questions, boiling down into actionable small steps that I can go back to the office on Monday and put into place. And, um, so it's made sense to me. In my own office, I had some success. Apparently, I have some level of skill in helping other people in a coaching standpoint with this mastermind. So why not marry the two of them? And then I could have something that I could do beyond dentistry where my mission of helping people like one patient at a time would be, yeah, you know, my way, like maybe vicariously through these other dentists that I could help them to have greater success. I could kind of live through their success of helping those people. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's kind of where it is. So a year and a half or so, I sold, yeah, about a year and a half ago, is my last clinical day at the office. And uh, since then, I've, you know, developed, a, baked out a full coaching program, manuals and all that kind of stuff, and wrote a couple of books on the subject and, you know, vlogs and podcasts and social media stuff later. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm reinventing myself, Doug. So, and it's fun. It's a, it's been a fun journey. Well, you know, a number of things strike me as you were describing that uh, backstory, and, and thank you for sharing that. You know, um, on, on one hand, the thing that really stuck out for me is the idea that uh, yours is a plight that actually all entrepreneurs suffer in one form or another, regardless of how technical their idea might be for the business they create. But Interestingly, when you think in terms of dentistry, you get your 
training and then you open a clinic and and you're the guy because you're the you're the professional you're the licensed person that can perform the work and you know i'm 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 presupposing and you correct me if i'm wrong but you know you, you hired some hygienists and some other support people to work with you but when it really got into the heavy change process implants veneers replacements bridges etc that was all you and in in an, in an extreme way that's exactly what all entrepreneurs fall into is they're they're the one they're they've got the idea they've got the the inspiration they've maybe got the expertise they start trying to build a team around them but they become that very narrow passage in the hourglass. Everything that flows through the business has to pass by or through them to make it a success. And the first symptom that emerges is the idea that the business caps out at some level. There's only so much one person can do with with those with that workload. And, you know, as, as many try to teach and coach, and I do myself for business owners, the goal is to help get the owner out of the business. The classic phrase that's used a lot is uh, start working on the business, not in the business. And uh, again, in your story, what struck me is when you think in terms of the the technical training and licensing that's involved, uh, that's a hard challenge to overcome. Sure. You can't right. just necessarily stand back and, and let everybody else do everything because um, unless you can recruit and attract some other licensed dentists right. into the practice, that heavy work can't be done. That's right. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that too, you know, it's interesting that, that you, you, point you you drew a picture of that and doug you know like it's this very difficult thing lots of training sort of to get to and you know to some degree that's true and and to the degree that it is true uh, it, there's a liability in dentistry which is that you don't have to become really that anything more than mediocre on the business side and chances are you'll keep your doors open you know if you're in the restaurant business and you just do mediocre it's like goodbye like you're gone. Like it's just the entry is so easy for somebody to jump into that that particular type of a business. Whereas dentistry, it's not. You know, so it's a as I, you know, I have my uh, my my daughter's in dentistry. One of my two daughters in dentistry is a dentist, and as she was working her way through that journey, you know, I kept saying to her, you know, you're going into a very special, my word, you know, special club, and you want it to be really hard to get into the club because once you get into it, then it's good. But the liability of the club is. If you want it to be exceptional, then you got to do something that didn't teach you in school, and it may not be very, very natural for you to do. So, uh, yeah, your 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 point is spot on. Well, and and I I think about that in in a bit of a parallel universe. I think about um, the doctor uh, that I go to for dermatology, and when I first met her and was referred to her she was pretty much a one-person shop again she had some technicians that worked with her you know front office front desk people that made appointments and did the billing and all that but 
In time, she and her husband agreed that they wanted to turn that into a, a bigger, more robust business. And that did mean she had to recruit other doctors, other dermatologists to join the practice, right. which she was successful in doing. And it, it they've gone through two iterations of expanding and moving their facility to accommodate everything. And, and she's got quite a I'm going to use a, probably a disparaging word, but she's got quite a factory going on now. That's great operation, yep, right. But it's a it's a great operation, and it's hard as heck to get an appointment with her. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. Because <laughs> she, uh, I think, only takes maybe a day or a day and a half a week to actually see patients again sure. uh, or still. And yet, um, I mean, her name's all over it, and, you know, she certainly is available for consult and such yeah. but um, she's turned it into a real business that yeah. you know again does provide wonderful service i even though not, i don't get to see her anymore i certainly have grown to like the doc that i see and i'm happy with it and i'm not going to change you know it's it's great yeah and and it's well beyond mediocre i promise you, you know? yeah. right yeah that's awesome that's great yeah yeah so it's um it, but but i think at the core of this is that challenge so i, I want to lean a little more into your story on the developing the business side of it you you mentioned joining the mastermind and all these gifted and talented docs were coming together but yet what they really wanted to talk about was business not so much the medical but uh so tell us a little more about those discussions yeah you know they 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 all sounded uh, different, but yet, you know, they all are pretty much, you could put them under just like two or three umbrellas and that's it. You know, it's either, you know, it, it, it had to do like just the operations, you know, the systems, the framework, so forth. Like, how do I get it? So we're, you know, we're, we're more organized in our day-to-day, -day, the logistics part. Uh, that was some of it, although those are definitely the easiest to handle. It's just a matter of finding a good system, like, oh, that makes sense. And then, you know, it's just go about and change it because you know it creates a little bit of a disrupt in the business but it's not people changing so much who they are or how they act so much as just following a different path you know so those are easily yeah plentiful but easy conversations um on the flip side of that of course the hardest conversation was about leadership like how do how do you how do you make you a better version of you because your business is never going to outgrow you uh unless you just extract yourself and put other people in charge it that are way better at than you are. And you just take a, a way back seat to that. Um, so that was always very, you know, that was, that was the fun part to me, because if you become a better version, if you become a better leader in the office, uh, then you're going to be a better leader to the team that's there. You're going to be a better leader of patients to trust you and say yes to the, the, the treatment you're proposing. Uh, and it has to spill over into the rest of your life. You become a you know a better spouse, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better patriot, a better citizen, I mean, citizen, Christian, whatever, wherever you want to go, you're just going to become a better form in all of those because leadership plays its its role every, everywhere, you know? So those are always the ones like, you know, it was, it was funny. It's funny. I was just at one a few days ago and a super accomplished young dentist was there. And uh, so we were talking and, uh, and another guy and I, he was talking about, well, there's a thing he's had in his office uh, so just to back up a step and like the one thing about medicine that's different than dentistry, I think is that dentists can grow their business 
in two, I'll say two different ways, whereas I think physicians can only are limited to one. Uh, and that's all around fees. That by and large, the medical profession fees are set by insurance companies because everybody, I don't want to say they expect, but it's it, there are concierge physicians who have broken away from that, but they're very few. Um, and a number of those don't have the ability to do that. They don't have all the skills to do that on the non-business side, and then they end up going back into the into the fold, so to speak. But dentistry isn't isn't like that. It's you know there's a lot of dentists that are uh, t- they're, they're independent of insurance. Uh, I always was. Uh, my daughter just started her business. She's totally independent of insurance. So basically, that means to me, you know, it means that. So like like the like the great dermatologist that you started with my word, she had to start discriminating against some of her clients and, and not fair, but you were one of them. She said, I can't see Doug. Somebody else has to see Doug for whatever reason. I see some people, but I don't see Doug. So there's a discrimination that has to go on with growth when there's, a, when there's an owner leader there. So for us, the discrimination was probably more around price. It was like, you know, so, you know, the Ritz Carlton has rooms filled every night and Motel 6 has rooms filled every night. So there's a lot of differences in there, but one obvious one is price. Um, you know, and, and what suits one person doesn't suit somebody else. And we all value different things. And so I think that that in those conversations of leadership, that's where the ones, uh, comes up. And so this one young man, uh, he, he was talking about a, a, an insurance thing that he wanted to get out of his office, but his partner, he implied that his partner said no. And so, um, we were talking, so, so like, so when you go back home, cause he said, we've looked at this number of times and this is what happens. But he led us to believe that he was the decision maker of the two. So, so when you go back home, you actually talk to your partner and you say, this is what we should do. And he says, no, we shouldn't do that. That's the conversation you've had, almost specific, right? And so he said, mm, no, not quite like that. It's like, well, so have you ever had that conversation with your partner? No, not really. Yet it sounds like you're blaming your partner for why this thing hasn't happened, but in reality, it's you. You're the one with the fear, whatever it is, of getting rid of it. And and you know, he, and he kind of you know, he looked at us, and, and we we're we 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 know each other, you know, the three of us that were talking. And so you know, there were some not so pleasant gestures at us with his hands, <laughs> as you might imagine. Like, darn, you're absolutely right. Like, it's me. It's all about me. I've been the block of this whole thing all along, and I've been putting it on other people. But no, I'm I'm the thing that has to grow and expand. And when I do, this is going to go away. So I think I just thought that's just such a fun, you know, way. And of course, you know, I have to look in the mirror all the time and say, well, how am I holding myself back? But so leadership is big, you know, systems leadership, and then it's just how do how do we spill that leadership into the team? Like how do we take a team that rather than them saying, you know, tell me what to do, Doc, you know, that they go to a level of or ultimate level would be like, so I just want to fill you in on what I've been doing the last few months. And just so, just so you know where we're at. Um, and then there's, you know, maybe six or seven steps leading up to that. But at least get them to the point where, you know, we, we would use a phrase like I intend to. So I've, so I've identified a problem in my space. Uh, here's the potential solutions to that. Of those, I've looked at them all carefully. And I've chosen this one. So I intend to do this. And then, so this is what I think, Doc. And so to me, that's the very lowest level of, of leadership that I would accept in my office because I don't know what's going on in your space. And I believe, and I appreciate, you know, you're the quality controller, you gotta make it happen, but I don't know. And I'll help you make the decision, but I'm not gonna have you dump it on me, you know? So so I think that was, those are probably those three categories are the ones that folks struggle with the most and anything you can do to 
help, you know, we're all on a journey, right? You know, so you haven't arrived, I haven't arrived. Uh, we're just trying to get better. Um, but those are the three that crop up all the time. Like you could always put everything, every single thing under one of those, you know, improve the leadership. I think you summed it up well a moment ago. You, you used the phrase, a business can never grow bigger than, than the leader may be. And I've spoken about that a lot on this show because I, I reflect on my days as a banker and working with business owners of all shapes and sizes, all, all kinds of industry. And the, there was always a pattern. If, if the business had, had taken off, you know, it was a startup and they made it through that. And then it got up to a little bit of a, of a, um, scale up kind of mode and got some great, market response and traction and started attracting, you know, good sales. Then there was an opportunity to maybe from there propel itself to 2x or 3x what it already was because there was a mass that was proven and, you know, it was it was valued by the market. But inevitably, a lot of those businesses would stall out and, and they would sadly, a few of them would crater at that point because the owner founder never made the shift, mm -hmm. never, never sought the learning as you described, never, never admitted they could be the bottleneck, never admitted they could be the limiting factor for those that were willing to look in the mirror and say, man, this is a great deal. We could go gangbusters, but I'm obvi the obvious roadblock here. What do I need to do differently? And, you know, in, in some cases, I mean, I'll say this in a non-medical sense, the, the answer was go hire a CEO. Go, go find somebody that can truly run this business day to day. You right. can sit back as the owner and still own a majority share, lion's share, and and set a vision and set a, a a big picture strategic direction, but you don't have to have your hands in the day to day. Right. Yeah. 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 And I imagine you know, at least for me, uh, you know, some of that gets you get, everything gets tied into ego. You know, right. you can't say, well, if I'm, you know, how do I? Yeah. How, not how does anybody go from being like you are it? it you know, originally, it was just you and an idea. I'm going to have this business on my own if that's what it was, which oftentimes it can be. And then it goes from that to like, I'm the one that made, created all of this. And then now I'm going to put somebody else in charge where it's going to like be like the CEO is going to be like the, maybe even the face of the business in many ways, you know, not, not just the idea and the guy that, that executes all the stuff, but almost the face of it. And then, like, whatever happened to the you know the, the the original visionary guy? Is he still around or she still around? And uh, and very much is and very much a part of it, but not in that limelight, so to speak. And uh, yeah, like it's a can be a big struggle, you know, because it's a it's a shift, it's a huge shift. And I love what you said earlier when we started the show, like these plateaus. Like you can, there's no question. Every single one of those plateaus, like you know, as good as you are, that's as good as you're going to get. And to get to the next level, you got to change things because, you know, you're not going to get there by doing what you took it, what you did to get here. Mm -hmm. so. You know, there, there are articles that are being written now. We're in an interesting time in our, our business history. There is a, a huge amount of wealth that has been created and built up by the boomer generation and uh, those are all folks like you and I that are 
many are ready to cash out and, you know, go hit the golf course or the fishing boat or whatever it is they choose to do with their retirement years. So there's this amazing opportunity for younger people to step in and buy those businesses as opposed to fight the startup headaches and, and you know, go through the, the ground up bootstrap kind of phase. And, and that's creating a, a giant potential transfer of wealth. And whoever you talk to, there's the numbers are all over the board. The most consistent one I see is some valuation at about six to seven trillion dollars of wealth in that transitional yeah. period. Yeah. Are there those kind of transitions in the in the dental world? Yeah, sure. You know, some of it, uh, it's not uncommon. I spoke earlier about like my daughter. It's not uncommon, you know, for kids to follow their their parents in whatever direction uh we certainly never gave any uh we my wife and i never like any like you should go into dentistry type thing like i know some children felt that i never felt that from my parents so i, I came from a long line of civil engineers um but never felt that feeling i mean i think there was an assumption that i might go into that because i was good at math and enjoyed a lot of that stuff uh, but never felt that pressure. Uh, so there are quite a bit of, so that's a, that's a great transition just, you know, stays even in the, in the same family, this, you know, from generation to generation. Um, I, there is a trend though. It's interesting, Doug, in dentistry, which wasn't there when I was looking at businesses, which where corporations are, you know, purchasing private practices and then, you know, kind of bundling those together into an entity and then either making it bigger or then just selling that to another one. So there's, there's business opportunities for non-dentist entrepreneurs to gobble up dental offices. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, I, wouldn't, I don't want to go a long story on this, but when I talked to the dentists who were the generation before me, the hours that they spent away from their family doing, I'll, I'll say, professional related stuff that might have been you know at the restaurant with a bunch of buddies having dinner together multiple nights a week and having a cocktail or something like that but it was it wasn't at home with the kids at the sports things things like that um to my generation where there's much more of that and then the current generation uh no no right or wrong but they seem to be much less inclined to want to do the work of business ownership uh as opposed to i can make an okay income just give me a w-2 and a job and i just punch in and I punch out. Uh, so I don't want to take over that. So corporate has moved in and said, well, th this is a good play for them because then they can buy a business uh, type of business that's can be profitable, can be very productive as far as generating revenue. And I can have a fairly ready source of these highly trained technicians we call dentists who don't want to own businesses. They're not necessarily going to leave me in three, four years and go set up across the street or or wherever that might be, that they're happy to stay on for many, many years in that capacity. Um, so that's been a shift to that, that the number of, of I think you see the number of highly held dentists as a, as a percentage, you know, of the total population, you know, five years from now versus what it was 35 years ago could be vastly different because of that shift. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's alive and well, there's no question that, 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 and I can't imagine it, going away. Uh, and on the other hand of that, you know, I, I think it's very difficult. You know, if I, if I looked at my practice, which became very specialized, uh, very, very niche, as far as the services we we're offering at a clinical level, that, that made it a, 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 a my office was, was for sale for three years. 
uh, before we're able to find somebody that had the, uh, you know, the maybe it wasn't even the money because at that point in time it had been the, the fire sale was continuing was continuing on, you know, because my wife and I wanted to move on. It's like, hey, we, we were expecting to be out of here a few years ago um, and beyond to doing other things, you know. And so uh, uh, it was just finding somebody that had that skill set. Um, and wanted to jump into someplace that had already been created that way. Just those numbers were getting less and less, the more and more we specialized we got. Um, so corporate doesn't follow that model at all. You know, so there, it's, it's meant to be, you know, the bread and butter type stuff is what they do. So that, you know, if somebody says, oh, I want to have a child, I want to move to here, my spouse is going there, I'm going to move with them, that they could fairly readily find somebody to fill that, that highly specialized trained dentist position, but not so highly trained that they're looking for something else. Um, so on the other hand, it does open up a very large opportunity going forward for somebody who wants to do the kind of dentistry that I did, because you're, I don't ever feel like there's competition, but the demand for that service is just increasing. You know, the baby boomers, yeah. the baby boomers aren't, aren't ready to get buried yet. Uh, they got a lot of money and, uh, and they've had years of maybe neglecting themselves. So they're happy to put the money into themselves. So there's a huge opportunity for that and going beyond the baby boomers. It'll be a huge opportunity because of, the number of folks willing to do it just is getting less. Uh, right, uh, right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm thinking about an orthodontist friend that I, I know who uh, several years ago sold his very successful practice in, in a very affluent part of the Houston area. And he had a little bit of a stay put obligation through the acquisition and his time was going to wane down over maybe 18 months or something like that and to help make the transition and that all happened and what he's done it sounds somewhat similar to you he went out and he was a lifelong learner. I mean, he is always taking these really strange courses and, yeah, you right. know, Greco-Roman literature and, you know, okay, things yeah. like that. Okay, and yeah. um, But what he's done, he's gone out and got himself certified as a coach, and now he helps aspiring and up-and-coming orthodontists who are Great. trying to build practices he he is coaching in that space yeah awesome and yeah. leading some masterminds and doing some things like that to um to yeah. help perpetuate so he kind of stays connected with the with the uh, medical part of what he knows and but he he has focused a lot on the leadership the business development the yeah. business organizational growth yeah and development uh, so yeah, there's a real shortage of that for sure. That's, that's great. Uh, well, uh, as he always said, they didn't teach me this in dental school. <laughs> we, no, we didn't right. talk about this stuff in dental yeah. school. And as an orthodontist, he could, he could get by without it. You know, I mean, he, he was just, you know, somewhere probably in some sense like I was, which is like, is that, is this all there is to it? Like, you know, I mean, isn't there more here someplace and, and I'm willing to do the work, whatever that looks like to just make it more significant, make it better. And so, uh, yeah, good for him. That's awesome. Yeah. That's nice. well, well, there's one more angle of this. I, I'd like to get your take on David, if you don't yeah. mind sharing as you, you've alluded a couple of times to this whole idea of this life change decision that you and your wife made. Um, uh, talk to us a little more about the, the, the evolution of that thinking and, you know, your choices, um, and, and what I'm thinking of, there's a framework that I often talk about. A guy named Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime, and he talks about 
people at, at some point in life, they realize I've been chasing success and now that's not enough. I'm maybe you can't maybe say I've totally arrived, but I've achieved something and I realize that's not enough. I want to do something different. I want to do more basically. And Buford calls it the shift from success to significance. Mm. And and um, it, it's an interesting yeah. pivot. Um, but I see this a lot in the senior executives that I work with. And I often challenge them, even if they're going to stay in their corporate jobs a few more years to, to get to retirement, to make the pivot and, and say, well, what kind of legacy do you want to leave here at this company? You know, you, you don't own the company. You're a senior executive in it. Have you thought about your legacy and have you begun that process of trying to shape and frame what that may look like? And yeah. it's actually usually a tearful moment every time we get to that point in the, in the discussion, because yeah. In a lot of cases, they haven't necessarily thought in those terms, and they realize there's some huge opportunities they've left on the table. Sure, yeah, or just yeah, didn't pursue. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think for a lot of years in my journey, probably had some really good. I don't, I'd never really had a coach. Like, I mean, so there I went to a lot of great courses, but to say like I had a mentor that had my back all the way through, or some of the time, I never found that person. Um, and probably because I didn't look hard enough or didn't look at all, you know, that's, so uh, I wouldn't blame it on the, on the universe. It's more on me. So, um, but at some point I looked at and said, you know, that, uh, I mean, I'm not sure, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I was looking at saying, you know, that if I was going to write my epitaph, you know, it would it'd be something, something like, you know, I, I, if I'm reading David's epitaph, it'd be, I'm a better version of myself because I spent time with David. And so that that became something where I looked at and said, like, so I, I I knew early at some point that I'm my personality is not going to be out there like changing hundreds of thousands of lives. Like that's just that's not me. I'm a below the radar person, always have been, and I'm and I operate much better there. Um, but that said, you know, so so I remember a phrase again in, in around that time of you know do do unto one that which you wish you could do for the world. And that kind of became my guiding light quite a long time ago. So, you know, so, you know, I got involved, for instance, you know, uh, mentoring through a, a, a young man, you know, no dad through a big brothers, big sisters organization, you know, well over a decade ago. So, you know, one person, one life, but I looked at and said, you know, that the chances of, of this person graduating high school is uh, one in 10 in his high school. Uh, chances of him going to jail is about nine in 10 and drugs and all this other stuff <clears throat> it just all adds up like like there's there's the odds are way stacked against this young man of having anything other than just another statistical tragedy in in my eyes not not fair to say that so anyway you know so that so i, I think i was putting that in like it was in my office you know that i wanted to look at that and say i want each one of you i'm gonna well how would you say forced learning so if so for a new hire you know this is who we are uh, and you you will you will become a better version of yourself whether you like it or not. So if you're on that mission, that sounds at all interesting to you, you might be in the right place. If you're not, like you don't like to read, like regular reading, if you don't like to talk about that stuff, if you don't like put things into place and put learning into place and prove you put into place and be accountable to that, this is definitely the wrong place for you because you'll feel a lot of pressure to do that and you'll just want out. 
So, so that was the kind of, like, that was the culture in the office and that's been there for a long while based on kind of what I wanted to do. And so, so really, you know, and so my feeling was when anybody leaves this office, whatever that looks like when you leave, you know, to go do something else with your life, that, that my victory would be like, I'm a better person because I worked in that office. Just that. I don't care if you say you're a better hygienist, dentist, which I don't care about that part. Like I'm just a better person better relationship with my spouse, better relationship with my kids. Like I'm just a better person. Um, and I got, you know, some very, very nice cards from people that retired or, you know, things that are going on to say like, so if I have to say something like that, because you were tough, you were hard, you were all this kind of stuff, but you know, I would never have the relationship with my father that I have now or with my, my sister or my child or whatever I have now, not because of you, just because you created this, this culture that because I accepted the culture, I had no choice, but to, but to push my way past the, some of the barriers that I had in my own in my own self. So that's um, amazing. So I was really fortunate to have be able to latch onto that. You know, at a younger part in my career. So the transition out of clinical, like I had a very good friend who executive coached the people and organizations and communities, and so he's super accomplished. He's amazing how he can facilitate that that identification of ideas and values and make those big groups change like that um but he said like you could easily be he and i know each other pretty well he said you could easily like your like your ceo types feel a sense of of loss and and mourning for what you had there because you're the doctor and oh doctor this and doctor that and then when you walk away like that's gone and in my head I, you know i kind of looked at this i understand that totally i didn't know i'm not going to feel that way because what the, because a really significant part of what i was doing through coaching and just other stuff is going to continue on, which is I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally try to help, you know, be, be, be present to be, help people become better versions of themselves in the ways that they want to or need to, to get where they want to get. And so, and so I, yeah, it's, and I was, I was fortunate. I was just really very, very fortunate to be able to latch, have somebody explain that to me in a way that I understood it and I embraced it and started moving in that direction. And it just kind of kept, kept on, keeps on going that way. So that's very, awesome. Yeah, very fortunate. Great story. Well, congratulations and kudos for establishing that and, and working through that. And I know um, I, I'm working with a national private equity group now that is uh, they're working in the home services space. They're helping businesses that are, you know, uh, we're talking plumbers, electricians, HVAC, those kinds of businesses. Yeah. But they're helping facilitate those transitions that I was talking about, the, the the kind of the boomer generation handing off. And one of the big things, the value add that these guys do way beyond what the average business broker does is there is a training and coaching program to help the acquiring entrepreneurs shape and mold a culture just the, the way you're describing it. Yeah. And start from day one on the announcement of the sale hey this business is being sold you know old mr so-and-so is walking out the door and i'm your new guy i'm the new owner and welcome to my team and and just from day one start shaping and molding and and um in their in in their trajectory of doing this and they've done probably a hundred million dollars worth of these trades up to this point but um there are no doubt some personnel turnovers. You mentioned giving the people a challenge, saying, "Hey, we're going to start doing these things as a team and as a group and as a as a culture." Yeah. And if that's not you and you're not comfortable doing that, you're 
you know, probably not going to be a fit here for long. Right. And um, that's a tough pill because in some cases, those people you're talking to are children of the former owner <laughs> or extended relatives that have, have stayed in the business, right. even though yeah. the owner has sold out. And uh, now yeah, all of a sudden, right. mm. you know, Thanksgiving gets tougher. <laughs> it gets a whole lot tougher. Right. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. well, David, our time's about up. This has been amazing. And thank you for sharing all of this. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in, in talking and learning a little more about your work. Yeah, sure. Well, the name of my com company is ultimate success in dentistry. Uh, the website is, uh, is ultimate success dot dentist. So sometimes there's no common there. Uh, we also have another website called 4M40. You can spell it or write it uh, any way you want to, .com, which uh, sometimes that's easier for folks to remember. Uh, so 4M40.com or ultimatesuccess.dentist. And, and I'm very easy to find on those. Uh, you know, I have a LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube uh, channels as well. But if anybody went to the website, they, it just immediately points me in, in directions. I'm I, really very transparent. You know, I've done what I've done. I haven't done any more. I haven't done any less and I'm happy to share it all. So, so I'm easy to find that way. So yeah, somebody's looking for it. And, and then, you know, the, the first book that I wrote, it'll be published next month. So there'll be, it'll be access to that as well. So that's great. Well, yeah, it's yeah. great. Well, again, thank you for sitting in and sharing with us. And as always, folks, those links will be in the show notes. So just uh, hop down and, and check out uh, the information there. And if you're uh, listening on your favorite streaming service, there are show notes as well. But I know you you might be walking or driving or something. So hop over to our YouTube channel, uh, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. You can get the video version of this. You can get to see uh, David's smiling face. And uh, great dental work, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's good, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, enjoy the episode that way. For now, I'm going to sign off, say goodbye, and ask you to go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.